this is going under. Anesthesia answered with Dr. Brian Schmutzler. I'm Vahid Sadrzadeh, along with the aforementioned Dr. Brian Schmutzler today, and here in episode two, season one, we're going to be diving into the world of choosing anesthesia as your profession, Brian. Uh, so let's just kind of start off. I know last time we we dug in a little bit into your education. Uh, and maybe we can start there, depending on you know how you feel the story goes. But uh, let's let's go over today's main topic. Why did you choose anesthesia as a route for your career? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I had kind of gone through a bunch of different uh, <clears throat> professions or specialties that I thought I, I might want to do. Um, just to, to give you a little background, um, from the time that I started college, I had started doing research because, uh, you know, I, as we talked about before, I have a PhD. Um, and I thought, yeah, maybe I'll do academic medicine, do some research. Um, through the course of that, uh, I first did psychiatry research, which I thought was was rather interesting. We were mm-hmm. studying addiction medicine. Um, and then from there, uh, moved into doing um, basically pain neurology type medicine. Um, and research. And so, um, you know, all that kind of brought me to thinking about a whole bunch of different specialties. Um, when I first started medical school, um, before I met my wife, I thought I wanted, I thought I wanted to do uh, neurosurgery. Um, and, and so the, the problem though, with neurosurgery, in my opinion, is, is the, um, how busy it is, right? It's, it's a little less flexible than anesthesia, um, it's a longer road and a little less flexible than anesthesia. Lots of call, very, very busy. Um, and so um, Alicia, my wife and I were, were talking a little bit about things. And, and so from the, from the um, neurosurgery route, I think sort of the next thing I thought I wanted to do was maybe psychiatry. I have a psychology degree from undergrad and um, spent a little time with the psychiatrist and really just didn't like the didn't, didn't like doing psychiatry, a lot of medical management, just prescribing meds to patients. Um, felt like, I don't know, it just for me wasn't fulfilling. When, when did you have to decide all this? Yeah. Um, so as you go through medical school, uh, your first two years, you do basically um, non-clinical medicine. You just learn all the basic science. When you go into your third year, you do all your clinical rotations. And so your, your decision kind of comes at the end of your third year. You start applying for residencies, talking to people, trying to figure out what your specialty is going to be. But I think a lot of people come into medical school with um, some idea of what they want to do. Um, you know, and, and the way they always talk about things is that the initial break point is, do you want to be somebody who talks to people all day long or do you want to be somebody who does procedures, right? So that's the big break point. And there's all kinds of memes about this and stuff. Um, so, you know, talking to people is, let's say, psychiatry, um, family medicine, pediatrics, um, even, you know, neurology, depending on what you do out of neurology. And then doing things or doing procedures is surgery, anesthesia, ER, that sort of stuff. Time management, too, has to be, or time yeah. dedicated has to be a big part of the decision, too, because I'm guessing when you're an anesthesiologist, it's not a quote-unquote nine-to-five. Like, I would imagine family practice is more following that guideline. Right than anesthesia or surgery would be. Yeah, if you're talking about actual time spent with patients or in the office or in the operating room, um, certainly things like dermatology, things like family practice um, are more time in the clinic 
set hours. You have patients from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. The problem with those specialties is then those people have to go home and do all these notes, and they're taking a bunch of calls from patients and all that sort of stuff. Oh, okay. so, so it doesn't just leave nope. at the hospital or the clinic. Nope. Now, I do, right? When I leave the hospital, as long as I'm not on call, I don't have to deal with anything. I mean, I, I go home. Somebody else does the cases if you know, if they're taking the call. So when I walk out of the door, I don't have my own set of patients. That so I'm you don't have there. like notes or you don't do like any of that stuff or? No, nope. we do. So we do in anesthesia, we do everything on an anesthesia chart during the case. And then we do a post-operative note or PACU note and then another note sometime in the next 48 hours. But we don't have to do anything once we leave the hospital in general. Now we're talking about just general anesthesiologist, not somebody who's an ICU doctor, not somebody who's a, a chronic pain doctor or something like that. Um, so there's an advantage to that, mm -hmm. similar to ER, right? When the ER physicians leave, they're not often right. call, calling and following up on patients. Somebody else is taking it over. And so they kind of call, um, what is it called? The, the Rhodes ER path, something like that. So there, there's, um, you know, like radiology, um, uh, anesthesia, ER, or sort of shift work type uh, professions. You know, you go in, you do your job, you go home, you're not And it could be different them. shifts, different Correct. weeks. Yep. Yeah. Especially in ER. ER does all kinds of weird shifts. They'll start at, you know, 1 a.m. and go to 10 a.m. All kinds of weird shifts in that. Um, ER is kind of cool. I mean, I had a good time doing my yeah. ER rotation. You find a lot of people in anesthesia liked both ER and anesthesia, and they just sort of made the decision based on whatever other factors. Was there like an anesthesiologist? I mean, when you were deciding, mm -hmm. you said this was college at some point or up? Uh, uh, it'd be medical school. Medical yeah, school. yeah. Co college, um, you basically just have to decide whether you go to medical school or not. Um, I had to decide in college if I was going to do the PhD as well. It was a combined program, D PhD program. So I had to make that decision, but I didn't have to decide my actual anesthesia residency or what, what profession in in medicine I was going to do until basically the middle of third year of, uh -huh. of medical school. Okay. So, so was there like an anesthesiologist that you followed that you uh, looked up to or that you said, Hey, that, that, that could be something that, you know, I really want to do. Or yeah. was it more the topic? Um, so I liked both. I, let me, let me give a little background and then I'll answer your question. Sure. So, um, after my first two years of medical school, I did three years of PhD, did my research. Um, I did my research in a number of different topics, but neuropharmacology was, was sort of the overarching topic. So we, we studied conversion of acute pain to chronic pain, which is pretty cool. We studied a couple neurologic disorders, one called neurofibromatosis. And then we studied some um, side effects, pain side effects of some medications, including HIV medications and cancer medications. So... Um, during that time, I really got interested in pain. Um, I thought chronic pain was the route I was going to go. Um, and so there's a few ways to go into chronic pain. You can do psychiatry, you can do neurology, you can do physical medicine, rehabilitation or physiatry, and you can do anesthesia. So when I, when I kind of decided, yeah, hey, I want to do pain, then I had to pick one of those four routes. Um, I really liked neurology, the way like you thought about neurology, but I didn't like that I couldn't fix a problem. I could diagnose a problem, but I couldn't fix a problem with neurology. Psychiatry, we kind of already talked about, and I never even looked. What do you mean by fix? Like you, surgery or like what? Yeah, so a lot of neurologic issues, you know, let's say a stroke, for instance. Mm -hmm. Somebody has a stroke. There's not a lot you can do about it as a neurologist besides say, yes, you've had a stroke, and here's what I recommend, and here's what I think is going to happen. As opposed to, let's say, an anesthesia or surgery, somebody comes to me with a problem, and I fix it, 
right? So um, again, that goes back to the difference between a profession where you're talking and thinking versus a profession where you're doing, uh, or a, a, a specialty where you're doing. Um, so, so out of chronic pain, I, I, or out of the pain research, I kind of made a decision I wanted to do anesthesia. Um, the, the, the one person who I really, really had a great interaction with when I was a medical student that really kind of pushed me towards anesthesia, um, and I don't even know where he is now, but he was a third-year resident when I was a third-year medical student, um, and I think his name was Ari. I think that's what his name was. I don't, again, I don't know where he is now, but I had an awesome time with him. So as a third-year medical student, we get 10 days of anesthesia, two five-day weeks of anesthesia. That's it. I mean, they make everybody do that, but that's all the anesthesia you ever have to take. If you want to go into, you know, radiology, you never have to do anesthesia. That's hard to make a career decision. Yeah, exactly. 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 So, I mean, you know, we do months and months of internal medicine. We do a full month of ER. We do, you know, you get electives in your fourth year, but by that time it's kind of too late. Is it different in different medical schools? It it probably is. Yeah. I mean, I think people do things a little bit differently, but most medical school is heavily, heavily weighted towards internal medicine. So hospital-based medicine where you're just seeing patients in the hospital. I mean, I I get it, right? That gives you sort of the broadest view uh, of patients and of medicine in general. But I mean, you know, to do six months of internal medicine and then get to get 10 days of, of anesthesia is, you know, I mean, obviously it's a little skewed. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I had a great time with him. He showed me all kinds of stuff, regional anesthesia. He showed me, you know, how to do an anesthetic. Um, and so that, that was kind of what solidified things for me. I'd kind of, again, been thinking about that anyway, cause I thought I wanted to do chronic pain. Um, and, and so I had a great time and then started applying to the residencies. I interviewed at quite a few places, um, for residency and ended up just staying in Indianapolis to do it at, at IU. But, um, and then, you know, I, I thought again, I wanted to do chronic pain. So I, I went into residency and, um, by the second year you have to decide if you're going to do a specialty out of anesthesia. Um, and so really chronic pain is the only specialty I looked at, um, it just turned out that it wasn't going to work. It was an extra year of training, which I wasn't sure I was ready to do. You know, I'd been in school so long, you know, so seven years of, well, yeah, four years of undergrad, seven years of medical school with the PhD and then another four years of residency. So yeah, you know, half my life at that point, more than half my life. Um, so, you know, I decided not to do chronic pain and, and, and I actually, I'm glad I made that decision because really what I, what I started to realize as a resident was that I really liked acute pain better than chronic pain. So, I mean, that's, you know, doing regional anesthesia, which, you know, we've talked about on, on our social media before. Um, you know, I, I travel around the country. I teach regional anesthesia, read a lot about it, really interested in it. I like the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of it, the anatomy, the physiology, the ultrasound stuff. So um, I, I'm really happy doing a lot of regional anesthesia, which is acute pain, and I'm not so upset that I didn't end up doing chronic pain. Okay. Um, and, and for those listening, you know, when you go in, when you pick something like anesthesia, for me, the average Joe, we (laughs) figured out last time I'm the patient. That's right. And, um, if I'm, if, if you're putting me under, Mm -hmm. are there, uh, physicians who do both longer term, uh, or longer surgeries and then ones who just do like the, the numbing of the arm or like, you know, more general local anesthetics 
or are you mixed? Are you doing both at the same time? Uh, so most anesthesiologists do a mix of everything. Okay. Um, you know, some of us do less of one thing or more of one thing. Uh, I spend a lot of my time at a, at a physician-owned, mostly orthopedic hospital. So I do a lot of regional anesthesia, a lot of numbing blocks, a lot of spinals, um, which I think we've talked about in sure. a few of our questions in, in, in the social media that we questions that, we, that I've been asked. Um, but yeah, in general, most people do a lot of different types of anesthesia. If you do a fellowship, so that's another additional, you know, one to three years, depending on, on what specialty you decide or what fellowship you decide out of anesthesia. Um, some people will do cardiac anesthesia. And so a lot of those guys just do open heart anesthesia. Okay. So they won't, they won't do any, they're not doing orthopedic cases. They're not doing, um, you know, taking gallbladders out, none of that stuff. They only do the anesthesia for open heart cases. Um, there's a lot of people who do, uh, an ICU residency or an intensivist residency, um, and so, or a, a fellowship, I'm sorry. And so those guys spend most of their time in the ICU taking uh, care of patients post-surgically, sure. uh, chronic pain, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> chronic pain um, physicians out of anesthesia typically just do chronic pain. Sometimes they'll mix it, do a little general anesthesia, a little, um, little chronic pain. But um, yeah, so in general, most of us do a little mix of everything. So um, what's your favorite? Uh, I'm assuming you've done it all, right? Yeah, I, oh, yeah, you've yeah, you've yeah. covered the whole gamut yeah. um, uh, from maybe pregnancies yeah. and, and giving birth yeah. to, uh, you know, yeah, heart surgery and yep. everything in between. So, what's your favorite? What's your least favorite? Yeah, so so I spent several years doing OB. Spent several years doing open heart. Um, you know, those cases are fun. It's a nice mixture. I really like OB between the hours of five a.m. and five p.m. and not so much at two a.m. Um, and so, but currently, I spend the majority of my time in an orthopedic practice, and I really like the orthopedic side of things. I like doing regional anesthesia. I like doing spinals where we're numbing them up. I like, honestly, I like working with orthopedic surgeons, um, you know, that sometimes they get a bad rap, but I, I do enjoy working with the orthopedic surgeons. They're, they're very, um, black and white, right? There's no, there's no gray there. It's either we're doing this or we're not doing this, you know, replacing a knee. Um, you know, it's, it's very, a very mechanical thing, at least from my perspective. Sure. And so you you size the knee, you put the knee in, and you go from there. There's not a lot of nuance to it. Um, and, and I like, you know, a lot of them are, you know, just friends of mine, right? Mm -hmm. So they we, we have similar interests. They all like sports. I like sports. They all work out, you know, that sort of stuff. So I like doing orthopedics the most. Okay. Did you say the least yet? Uh, oh, yeah, the least. <laughs> um, <laughs> well... Oh, that's interesting. We want to make friends, not, yeah. not only friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't say any particularly pick particular specialty sure. do I dislike, but there are particular cases I really dislike. Um, so uh, tracheostomies, large neck dissections. So tracheostomies where you create a passageway sure. in in the neck, or large neck dissections for head and neck cancer. Those cases they're they're tough cases. You're you don't have access to the airway. There's always airway. Um, compromise risk to that. Uh, so those are cases that I, I don't like doing very much. Um, I like OB, but again, not at 2 a.m. <laughs> so <laughs> I do very little obstetrics anymore. Yeah. Um, what else? What other cases am I not a fan of? That's probably it. I mean, everything else I... I You've done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay I like doing it. it. Yeah. Um, two more questions regarding this topic. We'll go to some of our uh, listener uh, and viewer questions yeah. from social media. Um, 
Again, this is uh, Going Under. Anesthesia answered with Dr. Brian Schmutzler, and we're talking about why he became an anesthesiologist rather than a radiologist or family practice doctor. I didn't become a radiologist because I fall asleep in dark rooms, so that that, that, that won't work. That one, <laughs> that, yeah, that will not work. Um, Every time I, you know, trying to. So I think it's it. interesting the path that you you kind of took and why you decided to choose anesthesia, uh, besides falling asleep in a dark room. <laughs> uh, the, one of the questions that I think you know, I had, and, and certainly my wife had was, would you choose it again? You know, if you had to do the whole process over again, mm -hmm. would you still choose anesthesia and why? Yeah, I definitely would choose, choose anesthesia again. Um, I, I like the flexibility that it gave me. And I like the, I like not only the clinical aspect, but the business aspect. And I'm sure at some point we'll talk about, yeah. you know, kind of how I delved into that. But um, anesthesia is different than a lot of the other specialties. Um, we, we do all of our billing and all of our sh shifts and that sort of stuff essentially based on time. And so it's, it's kind of, in my mind, kind of cool to be able to say, you know, um, what I'm doing and being reimbursed for or being, you know, valued for is my time and not necessarily that, you know, I did this one particular thing and that, you know, then I, I'm being valued for that. No, I'm being valued because I'm sitting in the operating room for three hours and whether I'm, you know, uh, hourly based the way I'm paid or whether I'm, um, whether I'm uh, production based the way I'm paid, both of those are, are sort of based on time. So I, I think that's kind of a cool way to do things from a business perspective, but I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, you know, I, I love, being in the operating room and doing blocks. I love the pharmacology, just my mind, pharmacology and physiology are sort of my background. And so that's the way my mind works. Um, so yeah, I, I'd do it again. If you had to choose a profession other than being a physician, Ooh. what would you choose? Man, this was on the spot. This was I, not, yeah, the so this was on the spot. Wow. So, so, um, so I always used to say football coach cause I love just thinking about football, watching football. Um, I, I wasn't particularly physically gifted at football, but I had a good mind for it. Yeah. And so, so I, I don't know. I mean, that would, that would have been fun. Um, what else would I do? Jeez. I don't know. Um, I'd probably end up being a research guy, you know, being a lab. Looks like you're in the right profession. I think so. I, I think, think so. You, I think you chose the right one. I think so. Um, and, and finally for the aspiring doctors and physicians and neurologists and, and, and anesthesiologists out there, would you recommend it or what, what is your advice to them as they're kind of going through the process? It kind of depends, right? So a lot of people, you know, have traditionally looked at physicians as, oh, this is a, you know, a career where you can make a ton of money. And if you look at the overall ROI, how long, you know, um, return on investment, how long you have to spend in school, the kind of hours you have to put in, all that sort of stuff. If all you're doing is, to, is looking to make a lot of money, there's a lot better ways to do that. Um, but if you really enjoy it, you enjoy the, mm -hmm. the science of it, you enjoy the people, you enjoy that sort of stuff, then yeah, definitely, definitely, um, anesthesia in particular, but yeah, medicine in general is, is a great career. The, the one big drawback, um, are the sort of the administrative duties surrounding it, no matter what, right? Even, even if you mm -hmm. are employed and you just show up, you still got all kinds of notes and, uh, quality measures and all kinds of stuff that administratively you have to do. So there's a that's probably the one big downside of medicine. People ask me all the time about um, television broadcasting and journalism, um, and you know there's a misconception that you know TV anchors make a ton of money. Yeah. 
it's not really the case anymore. There's like three main national right. anchors on television, and TV has changed to the fact that you're not watching TV mm-hmm. at five o'clock like our parents used right. to, right? So television is changing as we've seen over the years. And I always tell young journalists, if you're getting into this to chase money, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Right. And I'm sure you would tell yep. young yeah. you know, uh, folks who are going to medical school yeah, the same, same thing. thing. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to chase the money, it's, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're going to get burned out. Yeah. But if you're doing it because you love it right. and you want to learn more about it, you know, I tell, I tell uh, people all the time, I'm, I'm constantly doing research on cameras, on audio equipment. Right. What sounds better? Yeah. You know, how can we continue? And I'm sure you're doing the same thing yeah. oh, every yeah. day. Yep. How can you perfect your practice? Correct. Even one day you may not get there, right. but you're still striving for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if you want to make a ton of money, be an investment banker. That's what I tell people, right? Right. You'll, you'll kill yourself working. Right. You make a ton of money being an investment banker or, you know, on Wall Street. Um, that, that, that your job is making money. Right. Um, but, you know, every other career you really should have some desire or passion for that career. Yeah, absolutely. All right. um, So let's dive into these rapid fire questions that, uh, again, if you don't follow Dr. Brian Schmutzler on social media, you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, (laughs) Follow him on Instagram and uh, Facebook. And of course he's on TikTok. Uh, He's on YouTube now at Dr. Brian Schmutzler. Um, So that's where you can see this podcast if you're watching it. And of course uh, his website is www.drbrianschmutzler.com. Com. All right, let's get into these viewer questions. Um, and these are kind of rapid fire. All right. So just, you know, minute or less. Uh, and these are from listeners and viewers. So if you're out there, please send us your questions. All right, number one, is it true that using gases amplify the nausea? Yeah, so amplify the nausea. That I have a little bit of an issue with the way the question's asked, but essentially, yes. The the volatile anesthetics that we give you through the endotracheal tube or the LMA, those are emetic. They will cause you to be more nauseous than if, for instance, I give you a medicine through the IV. And we talked about this on the last podcast, that if you're having a procedure done and you're super, super um, uh, uh nauseous or you you get a lot of nausea after surgery sometimes we'll do total iv anesthesia where we just give you the iv medications that won't make you as nauseous some patients have pain and numbness sp (laughs) status post yeah meaning after after surgery epidural yeah at their six week visit Uh pp visit yeah uh uh, postpartum yeah have (laughs) <laughs> the, the, we have to like make a list yeah, it's, of it's a whole la- it's a it whole is. language that that's the first the first like six <laughs> weeks of medical school is learning the whole new language so. I feel like i'm going to medical school that's here right. okay so let's do it over again sure. some patients have pain and numbness sp epidural at After. their six week visit how common should this be uh, you know, it's fairly common. If you think about it, we're putting a needle through a bunch of layers of your skin, fat, muscles, and, and tendons and stuff into the spine. I, I never tell patients to worry uh, until, you know, probably six months, right? So if you think about it, if you get a really bad, uh, you know, muscle bruise or bone bruise, that's going to hurt you for months. Um, that, that's kind of the way that I, I tell people for, for all these sort of things um, postoperatively. You know, give, give it six months as long as it's improving. If it's getting worse or not improving, then, then I typically say go ahead back to your, either your anesthesiologist or your primary care doctor and get it looked at. All right, these are all good questions here. Another one, what if someone's vegan 
Okay, we we talked about the egg eggs, before. Eggs and propofol. Okay, yes, so yes, yes. And there was some controversy. <laughs> there was, and, and I, I'm I'm not trying to point anything out, but there is egg lecithin uh, in the compounding for propofol. So go ahead, go ahead. We will go into yeah, that. Okay, I right, think right, as a topic because right. I think it's really interesting. But what if someone's vegan, never heard of anesthetic with egg yeah. before? What do you recommend? So I'm not vegan, so I can't speak to this. Um, <laughs> I. You know, I don't know if vegans would have such a problem with actually having the egg in the propofol injected. So I guess if you do have that issue, bring it up to your anesthesiologist. Um, I thought it was just the fact that that vegans don't actually eat the eggs. Uh, so we're not we're not giving anything to you in your stomach. It's sure. going in your IV. Uh, there are other options. We have other medications that we can help you help you go to sleep with. Uh, Atomidate. Um, you know. I think we can still get sodium pentothal, although I haven't used that in probably 15 years. Uh, so there, there's other options. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be propofol. As always, as I say over and over again, tell your anesthesiologist anything that that you have questions about, that you're worried about, that you need. So, All right, uh, let's do – we have time for one more question here. Why does my back still hurt two years after CS? Uh, C-section. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so that kind of goes back to the same thing, right? We put a needle through multiple layers. At two years, it's unlikely that your back pain is related to the, the, the spinal or the epidural that you had for your C-section. Much more likely it's related to the pregnancy itself. Um, and, and I'm not an obstetrician, so I don't, I don't delve too much into this, but certainly there are some changes in the spine that occur with pregnancy. There's some laxity in the, in the ligaments and the tendons and stuff. So it's much more likely that you're having the back pain related to that than the epidural of the spinal. But again, if you're having an issue, go back to your anesthesiologist, go to your primary care doc, have them do some imaging and see, see what's going on. But I, I rarely, rarely hear that, that people have that sort of issue from a spinal or epidural. Well, it's helpful to follow you on. Yeah, that's true. You can follow social. me too. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of <laughs> follow course. me. That's the but, easy answer. And the disclaimer, this is not medical advice. Just like we say, you know, I say on all of my, uh, all my mm-hmm. social media, um, and, and I listen to multiple other physicians who have podcasts as well. So we also wanted to just point out that this listening to this podcast does not establish a, a doctor patient relationship at all. And if you have any questions, talk to your primary care physician or your anesthesiologist. I consider you my anesthesiologist. Well, <laughs> happy to be happy to be. Your well, I subscribe. So there you go. Well, this is uh, going under anesthesia answered with Dr. Brian Schmutzler. Of course, sent in your questions if you have them via the website or on the social media channels. Brian posts multiple times per day, it seems like, so uh, you can catch him there anytime. And again, it is Brian, Dr. Brian Schmutzler.com. We'll check you in the next one. Thanks.